Welcome to episode six of Around the Bar. This episode, we are joined by the one and only Brett Chancy. You may all know him better as H-Town Wheelhouse from the Locked On Astros podcast. Brett is a huge fan of all things Houston sports. He is also a teacher, a dedicated father, and grandfather. It's an honor to have one of the voices of the Astros join us today. Welcome to Around the Bar, the podcast series where we talk about the law, life, culture, and hopefully have some fun. I'm your host, Ramesh Raghun. Brett, welcome. Hey, you know, Ramesh, thank you so much for having me in. I know we talked about this and we got to hang out at the Rockets game recently. So it's it's an honor and a pleasure to sit down and just talk about H-Town, man. Because, you know, this is, this is our home. You know, this is a home to a lot of people, whether they're natives or transplants. I think we all take ownership of it because there's just a real different vibe in Houston. Yeah, Houston is definitely, I mean, it's my home. I moved here when I was like six months or so. Um, but I've been here my whole life, and I never want to go anywhere else, you know? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up here in Houston? So we, we actually moved out here when I was two. Um, I'm originally from Melbourne, Florida. Okay. Grew up on the coast. Well, my dad grew up on the coast. And 77, there was a boom, economic boom. Him and his friend came down here. Got here, called back home, said, I'm selling the business. We're moving to Houston. And we lived, I believe, in the Stafford area. And till we kind of found our place and we, we found our home in Crosby. So grew up on the north, north, uh, northeast side of town, you know, Harris County. And uh, Crosby is a lot bigger now. It's got a lot more people. We were in Newport. We were in this very back section called Section 10. And I remember during Hurricane Alicia, it flooded. And if it flooded, there was only one way in and one way out to our neighborhood. So if you got flooded in, you just had to wait till the waters receded. Well, now there's all kinds of in, ways in and out, and that's all built out. But grew up, and so, you know, I mean, I consider myself a Texan. I'm kind of jealous for people who were born in Texas. <laughs> I can't say that. But both my kids were born in Texas, so at least I got that. See, I have the same thing. I was born in Youngstown, Ohio, but I'm from Texas. That's, I'm from Houston, you know, and I grew up in Sugarland. And like, you know, whenever I talk to people and they ask me where I'm from, I tell them Sugarland, Texas. <laughs> so one day, Youngstown, Ohio is going to have like the Ramesh house. Where Rame <laughs> this is where Ramesh was born, right? And the you apartment. go visit like the Lincoln Log Cabin, right? <laughs> yeah, it's going to be the apartment <laughs> that my parents lived in. Um, where'd you go to high school? I went to Crosby High School. Okay. I went to Crosby High School, uh, 1993, graduated, gosh, it feels like ages ago. We didn't have the amazing fields that they just built that actually put them under financially. Yeah. But um, Crosby High School, it was it was a good school. We had about 1,100 students when I was there. We were 4A. Okay. Um, football team was always, you know, top of the area. Baseball team was always pretty decent. Um, basketball team was pretty good. And so we had good sports, we had a great band, and it was a good... It was a good experience. Did um, you play any sports? You know, I actually, so believe it or not, I didn't play baseball at Crosby High School. Um, I ran cross country. I ran the 800. And I thought I was pretty good until Reggie Wilson showed up and <laughs> he broke the state record his sophomore year. And then we just were all following Reggie. And so, 
But for me, for the most part, I, I kind of got involved in sports on the side, like volleyball and different things like that. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't play a lot of high school sports, but I was involved with like the football team. Um, I got involved with like the training staff and I love traveling with them. And um, I just I, I just had a lot going on outside of school. And, you know, I, I kept busy. I, I was active. But I look back. I, after I got cut from the team when I was a freshman, I wish I would have gone back and tried out because I think not a day goes by that I don't regret like going back mm-hmm. and just saying, okay, forget it. Because I probably had a shot my sophomore year. I just, I let, I let my confidence get the best of me or lack of confidence. So, I mean, life's moving fast in those days, you know, it's it tough. Is. It's tough. And it's hindsight's always 2020, right? You can always look back and go, man, I wish I would have done that differently. You know? Um, as a kid, did you have have any hobbies? You know, growing up, I was, you know, baseball has always been a part of my life. And so my father was either my baseball, he was, he was with me on the baseball field. We were at baseball practice. We were at the batting cages or we were at a baseball card show. And so because my dad wanted to collect and wanted to start meeting his idols that he never got to meet, the TriStar Sports Group got started. My dad actually had an opportunity to be a part of that group. No he way. turned down the road. I believe Rosen, I believe Jeff Rosen, I think is the owner's name. What the original guys came to my dad and asked my dad to invest. And for whatever reason, he turned it down. Um, funny story. My dad missed out on TriStar and he missed out on Records as well. Oh. But yeah, that's for another day. But <laughs> we would just go to card shows and we would meet Mickey Mantle. King Griffey Jr., Willie Mays, um, Stan Musial, all the greats, Joe DiMaggio, all the greats that I've met have been through my father. And so our my hobbies growing up was collecting baseball cards. You know, one day I was in a card shop and I saw this really cool comic and my dad's like, what are you doing? I'm like, look at this comic. It's turtles that are ninjas. <laughs> That's really cool. And I got the number number one through three um, Eastman and Laird's black and white Ninja Turtle comics. No and way. so I own those. I just got it because I thought it was this cool new comic turned out to be one of the iconic things of like kids everywhere, right? That, that's crazy. So I collected baseball cards, um, and I used to go to card shows with my dad. He wasn't into it at all. He just did it for me. And I remember going to the, the, the Ramada off of 59. Yes, we, yes. To meet Mark McGuire. Oh wow, yeah. Well, so, okay. See, see, I I must have missed the Mark McGuire show. Anyways, I'll tell you a, a Mark McGuire story here in a second. Go ahead. And, and I was gonna say, back in those days, I remember being a kid. It was six dollars for a McGuire autograph, and like when you only have twenty dollars to spend, which was a lot, I and mean, I was happy that my dad gave me twenty bucks to spend. I didn't want to spend it on an autograph. So typically I would, if it depended on the guy, because it was Mark McGuire, I absolutely, I got, you know, a baseball signed by him. And I remember thinking, man, they have to charge for autographs. And now it's just this complete industry. Oh, it's, it's insane. Because the first time we got Mickey Mantle's autograph, I think it was 15. The last time we got his autograph at a show was 50. And my dad's like, I'm never paying more than that. Well, now if you go to a card show today, Jose Altuve, 150 bucks just to get a baseball sign and to get a picture with an athlete now it's at least $100 which is insane i guess it's genius entrepreneurially on the part of the of the autograph guys but think that you're paying 100 bucks to snap a picture with an athlete is a little a little egregious in my mind as a collector and as a collector too i have a i have a just a personal problem with 
get it, signing a photo is one price signing a bat is one price signing a ball is another price you know it's, it's just, called a premium item yes non-premium item and then they won't sign this <laughs> if you bring this they won't now so mark mcguire we used to go to arlington every year because the the astros are in the national league the a's were in the american league i was a big bass brothers fan um, i actually have a really cool old a's hat that i wore and it has Tony La Russa, Dave Stewart, and Jose Canseco signed on the bill. Yeah, I got at a game. I met Mark McGuire one year at a hotel, and he was a total jerk to me. I, w I was crushed. I was like, he's my idol. Like this dude, like I was, I think I was 13 or 14. He crushed my soul, right? So fast forward, graduated college. My dad's like, hey, I went ahead and bought a Cardinals jersey because he had got traded to the Cardinals. They're now playing the Astros because the Astros still hadn't made the switch to the American League. So he's like, I got you tickets to every Cardinals Astros home game in the Astrodome. So I'm like, yes. So I go there and I'm in line to get Mark McGuire's autograph. He would sign two, three hundred per game. And I'm standing there with like a card or something. And the kid next to me goes, Why don't you get your uniform signed? And I'm like, Oh, do that. So I had my Astros shirt underneath. So I took my Cardinals jersey off, folded it up to where the where the numbers were showing. I hand it to him. And he looked at me, he goes, I don't sign jerseys. And I said, Mr. McGuire. When I was 14, you rejected me. All I'm asking you to do is sign my jersey. I was like, I just graduated college. This would be the best graduation gift ever. If he personalized it, I was like, I'm not going to sell this jersey. He goes, okay. He goes, how do you spell your name? I said, well, my name's Brett. He's like, one T or two. I said, two T's. And he put two Brett, Mark McGuire. And he signed it. Fast forward to his first game at Minute Maid Park. I was there. And I reminded him of that story. He signed a program for me. So I now got that program that has Enron Field on it. Oh, wow. And that St. Louis Cardinals jersey signed both in a frame at home. I have a crazy Mark McGuire story for you, too. See, you know, uh, as, I, as I had mentioned to you, I went to law school in St. Louis, right? And McGuire was the, there. My first year of law school was 98. So I was in St. Louis when he broke the record. Okay? Yes. So fast forward a year, my best friend in the whole world and I are sitting, we're eating lunch at this, like, deli place. We walk out, and it is... Daryl Kyle, Fernando Vina, Pat Hintgen, and Mark McGuire. Wow. Okay. For some odd reason, we had these baseballs in my car. I had a Saturn, so I ran to my car, and we had these, you know, real uh, official Major League Baseballs. Everybody signed, and McGuire was just sitting there in the back. When I took the ball to him, he was like, how about a handshake? And I was like, really? And Daryl Kyle was like, come on, Mac. And he just wouldn't even look at us. Side paneled us on the ball. He was just an absolute jerk. Yeah, you know, in, I've had a lot of interactions with a lot of these, these athletes. I literally, I've met Michael Jordan, Barry Sanders. Um, you know, I mean, some of the greatest. Stan Musial. For me, the two least favorite experiences I had, actually three. Todd Zeal was one of them when he was a rookie. Mm -hmm. um, he, was, he, he was like, my dad literally said to him, how do you have an ego? You haven't done anything yet. <laughs> My dad would talk mess to these athletes. Willie Mays was was very ungrateful. Maybe he was having a bad day, but but really came across as a jerk. And then Dr. J, just both of those guys. Again, they they're real people like you and me, right? Yeah. They, they have bad days. I can't imagine back then at the you know that was kind of the crescendo of all the autograph, and they're probably going from place to place signing, and they probably get tired of it. But my take on it was always this: I'm a kid, and 
I've dreamed of meeting you, and all I'm asking you is for a smile and, hey, kid, you know, good luck or just anything. And that's that's all I ever wanted, you know. I've got one of my most prized possessions is my King Griffey Jr., King Griffey Sr. Um, signed ball. Wow. I got it signed on the sweet spot, and they were both signing together. And it was the same show that Frank Thomas was at that year, and they were – it was so neat because they interact with everybody. They told stories on everybody. They were They were talking crap to each other. Like a father and son, like, you know, you do with your kids and I do with my kids, you know, and, and those for me were a majority of the experiences that I had. And so I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful to my dad because of, because without him, I wouldn't have had any of that. That's amazing. That's amazing. And you really got to share it. You know, I look back at the things I used to do with my dad with baseball, because, you know, baseball is always a big part of my life. And, um, I have this appreciation for it because he was just not into it. I mean, he wasn't from here. You know, he grew up in India. So this was all kind of new, but he knew how much it meant to me. So I had, you know, kind of a similar kind of a background. I think one thing, though, on, on this whole subject, I think the athletes, what really upset them is that there are people like collectors or fans that have ruined it for all of us, right? Yes. And I know these days are not there anymore where the guy comes to the game with 10 8 by 10 photos right. or, you know what I mean? Like um, the graphers, right? Where they're, and these guys are clearly trying to flip the product. And I think that whole aspect really turned off a lot of athletes and it makes them upset. Well, yeah. And if you know anything about pro athletes and, and something I've learned, they want to actually talk about stuff not related to their sport. When I, when we were, we were invited, Locked on Astros got an email from Canes and Bregman was doing a promotional event. Now, I didn't know, it wasn't a sign, it wasn't an autograph event. It was just like, he's going to show up and look good for Canes. And a lot of people were upset. They're like, how did y'all get autographs? And we did. I'm like, hey, we didn't get any autographs. But when I interviewed him, I asked him, the first question I asked him was about his foundation. Mm -hmm. And he lit up. Nobody else. Not in. All the, all the media guys that were there respect him, love those guys, but none of them asked him about his foundation. But when I asked him about his foundation, it, it, it changed his demeanor. It changed how he answered the question. And really, they, they don't want to sit down. They don't sit down after the game and talk about the game. Yeah. You know, they just, they are so consumed by it. That's what they do. They need time away. And you want them to have time away because if not, they're going to go crazy and they're not going to be worth anything to your team. And they are doing it all day, every day. Anyway, every day. You know, you mentioned Lockdown. So how did you first start getting into podcasting? So I, I got into podcasting a, a few years, about two or three years before I joined Lockdown. Um, I just saw a good friend of mine, Rob Fontenot, was, was doing a podcast and I asked him how he did it. And like, oh, there's this app called Anchor, and you can go on and record it. And I'm like, okay. So I start trying it. And then I'm like, do I need a microphone? He's like, well, you can get a microphone to hook up to your phone or whatever. And so I start kind of researching a little bit, looking into it. And then I start, I just created H-Town Wheelhouse Podcast mm -hmm. on um, Anchor. And I was doing it for about six months, and I was just doing, like, recaps of Astros games. I maybe had 15 people listening. I, I mean, nobody knew who I was. I mean. I didn't have any, I had, I had no stake in the game. I was just some rando, you know, doing, doing a podcast because I love sports. And I got this, I got this guy reached out to me. And to this day, I can't find the guy's name. He's disappeared off the face of this earth. But he was a Hollywood agent. And he reached out to me and he said, hey, I want to represent you. And I'm like, what? I'm like, okay, I'm thinking this is a scam, right? Yeah. 
And I'm like, what's the deal? So he tells me all his clients. Like he had Richard Dreyfus. He had some of the original like Jaws cast. Um, he was a child actor. And so he started sharing all this stuff with me. Well, he got me in touch with some guys in Florida. Um, Eric Wilson, um, who's become a, a good friend of mine who's in um, Orlando and um, Tampa area, like sports media. Mm-hmm. My friend um, who actually uh, passed away, Alex, um, passed away tragically a few years ago. But I got in with them, and then he's like, oh, he's like, have you heard of Tito Santana? I'm like, you mean the, the wrestler from the 80s? Yeah, he goes, yeah, he goes, I'm going to get you an interview with him. So I interviewed Tito Santana randomly. Wow. And then I was like, you know what? I want to interview more people. So I just started reaching out on social media. Um, I reached out to John Boy, the mm-hmm. the number one villain in Houston, yeah. you know, outside of Mike Fires. I mean, everybody hates John Boy here in Houston. But I reached out to him, interviewed him. I reached out to Chris Castellani before he had gotten big. Um, reached out to Bill Brown. And so I just I just started reaching out to people and was like, man, I really like this. And what's funny is I have this mic that I still have, you know, and I'm like, I hope one day it's like one of these like artifacts. Like this was the original <laughs> mic. The, dude, the mic is so crappy. It's from Amazon. I'm pretty sure it wasn't even made in China. I'm pretty sure it was made in the underground, underworld <laughs> of China. Because it is like, it is janky as heck. It's got an echo reducer. Oh, wow. It's got a, vo- it's got like some kind of reverb. It's got like three knobs on it, right? Okay. And it just, you know, it's pretty cheesy, bro. Like when you look at it, you're like, so I just, I just started doing it. And um, I just loved it, but I knew I wanted it to be more and I wanted it to get out there and, and, but bringing on Bill Brown and bringing on those guys really, really got me into it. And then I, I met Eric officially. Our sons went to school together. Okay. And, so and this kinda, is Eric Heisman who does Locked yeah, On with you. Yeah. And so Eric had just transitioned away from talking Strohs on the radio with, with, um, with, with your friend, Brandon. Brandon Del Castillo. Um, yeah. And they were doing the, like an internet version, base version of their show, Talking Strohs. Then Brandon got real busy, so he tried a couple co-hosts. They really didn't work out. And then Locked On ended up calling him, and so he did it for a year. And he was grinding for a year, and he's like, hey, when we met, we met right around the, I guess, after the World Series and stuff. Um, We were going to get, like, World Series gear in 2017. 2017. um, At Academy. And so... We start talking then, and so I guess for about a year, that next year or so, I would just be a guest on his show, and then I really hit full-time. Um, I joined him full-time in 2020, and so I'll be starting my fifth season as co-host of Locked on Astros this next year. I mean, listen, Locked on Astros has its, has a, has its own like real following. I mean, I am very, very amazed and impressed at the commitment that being a host on a Locked on podcast takes. Because you guys are there every game. I yeah. mean, it's every game, the, these shows. And I think we've all been blessed that the team has been so good for these past four years. Yes. And that has really helped. Because, you know, there was one time I was watching uh, one of y'all's shows, and I thought to myself, man, this would have been tough in 2012. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let me tell you, that not a day goes by that we're not thankful. And I'm not thankful that I walked into a team that was in the midst of a, a, a dynastic run, you know. Yeah. So in addition to, to Locked On, I understand that you're involved in a, in a new venture. You want to talk to us about that? Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, so during the ALCS, some guys reached out to me from a group called Athletically Declined Sports. And whenever anyone reaches out to me, I immediately, I like, I go try to find out who you are. Like, I want to know, are you legit? I mean, is this a real thing? And 
whether it's a big podcast or not, I don't ever turn anybody down. I do, I just like to know who I'm talking to, right? So I started looking. I was like, oh man, these guys got like I like some professional looking graphics. These dudes got like uniforms with their logo on it, and I'm like, you know what? This this seems like a cool thing. So I was like, oh yeah, sure, I'd love to come on. So I um, came on, and I forget before what game it was, but we were either previewing or or post gaming one of the ALCS, and then after the show, Tyler, who's the CEO, said, hey, um, I want to talk to you like you know, outside of the podcast, I want to see if maybe you'd be willing to come on board and join us. I'm like, okay. I was like, you know, we can talk. And so went and sat and had like a, just like a, a breakdown meeting at, at one of the local Starbucks. And Tyler's like, this is what we're about. You know, we think that bringing you on board would be huge. Um, bringing you part into like the leadership group because of, we've been watching y'all for years and we really like what you do with the show Locked On, and and um, we think your, not necessarily talents, but your abilities, your experience could be a benefit not only to you br- bringing your brand to us, but also encouraging the others in our group because we don't have the same kind of experience you have. And so, you know, we want this to be something where eventually one day we could offer you money. You know, it could be a paid, it, it could be something that, that is your job, is is part of what you do. And and so I was like, you know, that, that sounds really cool. I mean, I didn't really have to do much thinking of it. I just, I, I dove right in. And I mean, I literally went in head first. The next weekend, as my first week, the next weekend they were going to a celebrity softball game that they were filming content for and all these movie stars and TV stars and stuff were there. And they were like, well, hey, would you want to go with us? I'm like, I'm in, dude. Let's go. Oh, and I went. In. Yeah. So I went. I, I called my old college roommate. I was like, hey, dude, I need to crash at your place. I don't feel like paying for a hotel this weekend. He's like, yeah, come on up. I went up there and hung out with the guys and was I was already a part of the team. You know. Well, I think you bring a lot to them, Brett, because if you think about it, not only do you have the chops to do it, you have the experience, but you have an audience. You have an audience. People know you. People know you from the Locked On. People know, you know, H-Town Wheelhouse that has a nice ring to it and with you comes all of that so and that's enticing for a group that's trying to do media sports media content and trying to get get themselves out there right yeah H-Town wheelhouse where'd that come from so i was trying to figure out how to get a bigger presence online and, and you know before x was you know it was it was twitter and all that stuff um i was like I want to have, so as a kid, I was, I was always infatuated with the thought of having a nickname, right? Like w- one of my friends, he, he got in a bike wreck and he got a scar. And so we started calling him Scar. We thought that was so cool, you know? Yeah. But we would always give ourselves nicknames and they were always really dumb and really <laughs> lame. So I'm like, I've got to have a presence or a handle where when someone hears this name, they know it's me and they know it's about baseball. And so I was like, well, I love just saying H-Town. Like, I'm from H-Town. I'm, mm-hmm. I mean, I was, I was kind of doing the this is H-Town thing before it was trendy and cool. Um, and so I was like, you know, baseball has always been in my wheelhouse. I'm just sitting thinking of my thought in my head one day. And so I, I literally wrote it down, H-Town wheelhouse. That rolls really well off the tongue. That's catchy. You know what? I'm, I'm going to change my Twitter handle to H-Town wheelhouse. Okay. And... Since then, it's it's just kind of become this thing. And, and, you know, even when they did the Wheelhouse radio show, I remember 
joking with Stute, saying, hey, um, I've got my attorney. He's on the other line. He's going to call y'all. <laughs> um, they did a, the wheelhouse show when they were together. They did a, they went to the, wheel, there's a wheelhouse restaurant in the Intercontinental Airport. And so they took a picture of the crew, right? So I did, I don't know if you remember, this is going back a little bit. So SNL had a skit where Eddie Murphy claimed to be Clarence, the fifth Beatle. Oh, yes. Okay. So I was like, I was like H-Town Wheelhouse, the fifth member of the wheelhouse. <laughs> so I photoshopped myself into their picture and sent it to them. I was like, y'all remember I was there, right? Yeah, and they're like, you were totally there. That's absolutely fantastic. <laughs> and so it just, so it's just stuck. And, and now literally people walk up to me and they see me. They're like, hey, what's up, H-Town? They know my name's Brett, but they, and you know you too, Ramesh. What's up, H-Town Wheelhouse? That's, that's, <laughs> I, when I saw you opening day, that's exactly what I did. When I ran into you at the Rockets Stands. it does. It has such a great ring to it, and it has become you. Yeah. It has become you, right? So you have all of these platforms. You have um, some different shows. We got a lot of good stuff to talk about, right? Especially with the Astros, right? Yeah. How demanding is doing the Lockdown Astros podcast? A lockdown show is demanding just from this simple fact that it's that it's five days a week. But this is what I always say: it's only as demanding as you make it. Because and and I don't, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna call out any like any shows in particular. But I don't care what network it is. I don't care what podcasting group. I don't care if it's Believe, um, Locked On, whatever, or even AD, whatever. You have people in every group that you can tell the time and effort they put into it. And you can tell the time and effort they don't put into it. And so if you have priorities and you have other things that are getting in the way, you can at least get in those minimum 19 shows a month that, that they demand. It'll be an okay show. But if you do what I do and you put in the extra time and the extra effort, you reach out to celebrities, you reach out to personalities, you go to the AAA stadiums, you make stickers, you pass them out. Every time you meet someone at a stadium, you tell them you're with Locked on Astros. I mean, I am I'm in sales mode 24-7. And so locked on is as demanding as you make it. But to me, it's not demanding because I love it. So I was going to ask, what is the kind of, what are the policies? Like, like, you know, sometimes life catches up to you, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And is, so you just said in your last uh, answer that there was a minimum of 19 shows a, m- a month? So, so, so each month you, you have to have at least 19 shows. And what Locked On has set up and what they've had set up for a while, and they've increased it. They've, they, do, they do a real good job taking care of their host. There is what's called a minimum guarantee, okay? And that minimum guarantee is a certain monetary amount. As long as you reach your shows for that month, if you're in season, it's 19 if you're in season. I think it's 14 or 13 if you're out of season. You meet that and you do your live reads, you will get no less than what the minimum is. Okay. Now, if your numbers exceed and your numbers are great, you're obviously going to get more. And that's how it's split up. So you've got about 250 channels. But Locked On MLB, we have certain sponsors. So if the Locked On Mets and Locked On Astros and Locked On Rangers and Locked On Dodgers are all the top four, Whoever has the most listeners takes the bigger piece of that pie. Gotcha. So that's how that's so that's how that's really divvied out. That's a that's a real interesting way to work out. I always I was just real curious about it because I was just like, how does this work? They have such a big network. They're, every team is covered. Almost every league is covered. And I was like, to get a host to dedicate themselves to doing this every single day or after every game. I was like, I would love to do that, but there's no, just, just no way I would be able to do that. I yeah, you, yeah, it, it's a, it's a, it's a different gear. Um, it's not easy. Um, the power of 
of our show and our network is in the frequency of the show. I'll be real honest. Other podcasts can try to meet where we are or be better than we are overall. But until they put out as much content as we do, there's, there, there's no competition. And it's, and it's not because we're better. It's because we're more consistent. My whole goal, my mindset is I want to upset the algorithm. Like right now, I'm figuring out on TikTok, I'm in this two to 300 view jail, what they call it. Well, it's because people aren't hanging on and sharing my content. So I'm finding out ways and I'm researching ways to get my little, you know, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 views. Gotcha. Okay. What is your, what would you say is your favorite part? Like just when you look at doing, I do Locked On Astros, what's your favorite part of the whole thing? I'm going to have to say two things. Okay. Okay. First and foremost, it's become for me the engagement with the with the audience. I've I've never been I've never felt I guess more appreciated in anything that I've ever done in my life than doing Locked On because when I meet people, when I meet fathers who watch the show with their sons every night, when I meet some and I meet um, my friend Patricia who works for the Astros, she her and her sister listen to us every night. Mm-hmm. And you you met Patricia at the Rockets game the other day, dedicated fan. But when I meet the people that watch the show and they talk about the experience they have and they look forward to our show, that means a lot to me. That's why I've always had that always positive, always strows, you know, mantra. And I think my second favorite thing is getting to talk to players and personalities and having them respond and talk back to you with a level of respect and dignity. Because so many times these these men and these women that we've talked to, people just want something from them. When all we want is a good conversation. We're not looking for free stuff. We're not asking them, hey, can you give us a jersey because of that? There was one player we got an autograph from. That was Ryan Stanek. He's been on the show three times. I just reached out and said, look, you can say yes or no. But when we hit 4,000 subs on YouTube, would you sign a baseball so we give away? He's like, yeah, sure. So he met us before a game. And he's like, you guys got anything else like I can sign? And he offered, you know, he signed other stuff for us. And so that's you know, like the rare occasion. But these athletes appreciate that I'm there to promote them, that um, they, they always have a good experience. And just making connections with these guys on a real level helps me see the human side of sports. And it, I think it helps me be a better fan. Yeah, well, absolutely. And not only that, your your understanding of of the game and being a fan, all of that just in, increases with with all of this engagement. I will say this: one of the great things about what you do on Locked On is, especially like on Twitter, you're very engaged, and I really like that you have your own opinion, you stand by it. And, you know, because Twitter tends to be a, a snowball, right? Mm. There's a real herd kind of mentality with it. Yes. And, uh, you know, I guess the specific point I'm trying to bring up is I really appreciated your take on what they did to this new Chronicle uh, Astros beat writer, yeah. Leah Van. Because for three years, or now actually, sorry, for six years, we've been sitting here listening as fans to all of this abuse about trash cans and buzzers and yeah. and just stuff that it's just ridiculous, right? And it, it's it's constant and it just continues to get worse and worse and worse. And then all of a sudden, we have this new beat writer who shows up, okay? Yes, she said some unfortunate things on Twitter about right. everyone's favorite son, Jose Altuve. And 
they treated her terrible. Oh, it was yeah, it, it was there were there were actually a couple comments that said, Why don't you go ahead and pull the trigger? I mean it was just like you know, and that's and these are these are honestly, these are this is why I wonder how so many men get ahead in this world because these these men are acting like adolescents. I, I just like number one, it's 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 a different thing if someone's bantering back and forth. Like, oh yeah, well you know what? Well maybe you can learn how to win more than one World Series when you come cover the Astros. You know, something like that. But the way they launched into her. But you gotta consider the source. Yeah. I mean, she's twenty. She's like in her twenties. She was in co- in college. This was her team. This is she's been a fan. She's been a college reporter, and she went into a big market. Good for her. I mean, she went into Houston. She went into Houston to a to a club that she didn't even like, but she's like, you know, I'm going to go do this. I think that's pretty ballsy. I know? have a lot of respect for that because at first, you know, I was looking at it um, from a different angle, and I was like. Why would the, why would the Chronicle do this? Like yeah, it was like, like fire her, and I'm like, hold on, dude, fire her, good lord, <laughs> you know. But then when I started thinking about it, because when she pulled it off and said that she was having mental health issues, that really like kind of stuck with me because, fortunately enough, I've never been a part of any Twitter hate or anything like that, and I can only imagine what it's like to have, I mean, thousands upon thousands of people just you know telling you obscene things. But for her to um, say, hey, look, I'm a reporter. I'm in media. This is not a team I like. Guess what? This is my best opportunity, and I'm going to go do it, and I'm going to give it a professional shot. You have to respect that. Yeah, you do. And I, you know, I, I noticed that she actually reactivated her account. Okay. When she reactivated her account, she didn't delete any of the other stuff. She left it there, but she's just moved forward. Good. And I think one person did say, she shouldn't have deleted the account because all those people that were that forced her off, quote unquote, they just won. They won that battle. She kind of gave them that victory. He goes, but I also understand why she did. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, sometimes there is there is value in unplugging. For me, I tell people all the time it's a necessary evil for me. It's how I engage my audience. It's how I get more listeners. I mean, one of the, one of the coolest things lately is is I've got we've got about three or four different fans from Seattle and from Arlington that every time they comment, they're like, "Hey, Seattle Mariners fan here, love the show." That's amazing. I mean, they come to our show and they know we talk crap. They know we, but we're not over the top. We do have to keep it clean, anyways. We don't we don't use foul language, and I I kind of like that yeah. because. I think sometimes the cussing and stuff is a little forced, you know, and it's not necessary. And maybe sometimes, you know, it if makes it's sense. Natural, if, if it's com- natural, if it but it's natural. But if you're listening to a podcast and they're just swearing all the time, I don't know. It's it doesn't engage with me as right. well. Speaking of Twitter, you're doing the show. What has to give me a couple of the craziest tweets because Astro's Twitter is insane. Mm-hmm. And what are some of the craziest things that you've read? Oh, man. Well, so it was during the whole Maldonado thing, right? Somebody, somebody accused me of literally being in love with Maldonado <laughs> and wanting to do things to Maldonado that were highly inappropriate just because I was sticking with Maldonado. Yeah. Because I wasn't going to get my underwear up in a wad because... Martin Maldonado started again, and I know Yiner Diaz should be starting. I'm just like, that's what they're going to do. 
Yeah. And Dusty's like, screw you, I don't care. Yeah. And he's going to run his team the way he runs his team. So I kind of went back to this guy and I said something. And he just got more and more vulgar in his responses. And so I DM'd him. I'm like, I'm like, what is your deal? And he was just an angry dude. <laughs> I was like, I'm like, this dude's like scarily angry. Just just the things that that people the things that people are willing to say, you know. Um, I I got accused of being the president of the Astros Colts. Um, <laughs> I was I was not named in a couple articles, but I was talked about in a couple articles from a couple different websites. It, clearly, the description was me. I've been subtweeted by some people on our own network. Oh wow! Um, you know, I've gotten some hate from from some local Houston media in our own network. But one of the craziest things was I I, I had a little eight second blurb when we were talking about the Mariners because the Marin the Locked On Mariners guys were talking some crap and they were talking crap about the fans. So I was kind of sticking up for our fans. Well, I opened my big mouth and I said, "Well, you know, we don't we don't do that. We were we're we're built different. We were raised different." <laughs> I remember this. <laughs> so they clipped that eight second. They threw it to the Locked Up Mariners guys, and they went to town. And, bro, Seattle Mariners Twitter nation <laughs> pulled receipts on me, bro. Like, 2022, every crap, every little every little thing I said about them. Oh, yeah, you're built different. Boom. Boom. And I was like, you know what? You live and you learn. So I ate some crow. I ate some crow. That's 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 really interesting. I, I was going to ask you about you know your defensive Maldi, despite all the hate, but you kind of just you know you, you answered that up. A couple of things I want to get your thoughts on. Okay, We're just some topics here. What are your thoughts on the last these last ten years as being an Astros fan? I I, I think we've become accustomed to winning. Because let me say yeah. this: I was in St. Louis, um, and when I was in St. Louis, I was there from '98 to '03. Astros was very successful. That was our golden. Period. Right. You know, okay. I mean, 04 and 05, obviously. But I went through law school living in St. Louis, a town that, with rich baseball history, never winning, winning a postseason series. I mean, mm. when we were kids, it was 80 and 86, right? Then we had to wait till 97. And then we didn't win a series till 04. Right. And then after 05, you know, it seemed like the goal in 05 was always just to get there. It wasn't to win it, it was just to get there. Right. And then, you know, we had this whole 10-year stretch. But starting 2015, Brett, if you would have told me as a 21-year-old, 22-year-old, or even at any point in my life, you would have these 10 years of being an Astros fan, I would have told them they were crazy. Oh, yeah. No, it, it's, it's a complete Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde that this, that this club does. They're either really, really good. Well, they suck. Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, you have a whole generation of kids. My my son, who's 15, he doesn't remember a losing Astros team. So starting at the age of eight, that's all. Then when he really started following it, he's seen the Astros in the ALCs. You know, kind of like, you know, Alex Bregman. He's been in ALCS every single year he's been a pro. That's incredible. And that you've got a whole generation that that's where they are. And it, I mean... It it is a special time, but I think we've gotten to the point to where people have forgotten how to appreciate where we are and where we've come from, because they've forgotten the bad years. Yeah, and now the standard is so high, it's kind of like whenever um, there was a there was a coach, he coached at Miami, he ended up coaching at Texas State, um, an older gentleman, oh Mike, uh, no Coker, Coker was his name, I can't remember his first name, but I think it was Larry Coker, coach for the. Coached the Miami Hurricanes, coached them to undefeated national championship. And they said, how difficult was it to coach at Miami? He said, when you go 12-0 and and you win a national championship, the booster comes up to you and says, 
Let's do better next year. <laughs> and that's where I think we are in Astros fandom. People, you know, they just, yeah, just sell the team, you know, and it's terrible. And, you know, no, it's not. Like, we lost, we were one game away from the World Series. Yeah. We were being as horrible as we were at home. We still just had to get one of those games and we're in. And then I think we beat the brakes off of the, off of the D-backs. No offense to the D-backs, but... I agree 100%. It's like, in 2023, uh, you know, for the Astros, it seemed like almost anything that could have gone wrong did go wrong. Oh, yeah, 100%. And everywhere where we had depth, we no longer had depth. <laughs> and yet still, we were one game away. And, we... and see, I warned. I warned Astros Nation about this. But I was wrong about my tail end of this. I said 2023 is going to be rough. We're going to have injuries. We're going to have trials. We're going to have tribulations. 2022 was way too perfect. Yeah. It was way, everything went our way. The baseball gods have a way mm -hmm. of evening things out. And so what happens, and when the Astros get to the World Series and they win it, you are going to have the title that's the most coveted title in all of Houston history. We just got to win it. We went through all that stuff and we almost got there. We almost made it, baby. I we know. Almost made we it. were so close. And you know, it was so interesting because I was talking to one of my good friends who was a huge baseball fan. and. He was saying, it was so interesting, when you're winning 105 games a year, 107, 103, he goes, winning 90 felt like going 500. Exactly. It because did. Because we just weren't used to losing like we yeah. were losing all the time. And my fear is, though, and, you know, you're, we're not going to dominate forever, but my fear is we are on the back end of this run. Yeah. You know? And there, it's going to be tough coming up pretty soon. I, I feel like 2024 is the strongest legit chance this, this season because after that, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's going to be tough because you've got, you've got all these signing ideas. Um, you do, and you know, you know what's interesting is Crane's going to build this entertainment facility, and it's going to get built right as the team's going on the downhill. So that thing's going to have to be pretty exciting to draw people in if the team's not winning. But let me tell you this much. The Fox Sports Live in like Kansas City, in St. Louis, the one they have in, in Arlington. Texas those, Live is amazing. Those places are awesome. They are awesome. They're they awesome. They are awesome. Uh, I did a, did a trip with a friend to go see Metallica in Dallas, right? And um, after the shows, we went to Texas Live. And it was. It it's was a, a phenomenal atmosphere. Yes. It is. It is. It is very well laid out. It's absolutely crazy. What do you think? How do you think 2024 plays out for the Astros? Um, I, think they're, I think they're still in line to, to win the West. I, I don't know that I still believe that what Seattle's doing is, is going to be enough. I think the Angels and the A's are going to be pretty much, they're going to be who they are. Um, the Rangers are going to be good, but they, they still have pitching issues. I mean, they still have got injury issues. All their guys aren't back. We've got, I think, a better offensive lineup going into next year. So I think offensively we'll be a lot better. It's just can we get one or two more bullpen pieces? Can we get Naries? Can we get Hicks? One of those guys. And then Hunter Brown, how's he going to perform? I think that's key. Fromber. Um, Jeremy Pena, Fromber. I mean, if your guys come in and do what they're expected to do, I mean, the Astros to me are still the favorites in the AL. Um, one of the favorites, one of two to go to the ALCS. I would love to see a part two of Texas and, and Houston. That would be, I think, great, and then to win one against them. Yeah, um, because I don't see another series going where both teams lose all their all their road games. You know. Yeah. Uh, or lose all their home games. You yes. know. I, yeah, I totally understood. But twenty twenty four, I think is going to be. I think it's going to be a much easier year than last year. 
I honestly think the Astros get back. And if the Astros get back, you you may be looking at a Dodgers-Astros rematch, and it's going to be even more interesting because of the firepower they have in L.A. Now. I mean, it's crazy what they've done, signing both those Japanese And they're still players. talking about signing more guys. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. And they also <laughs> – who was the pitcher that they also signed? Um, Yamamoto? No, the other guy. Oh. Uh, um, uh, was, it, was it Snell? Did, it, did no, they get Snell? it was uh, – I forget, but they uh, it was uh, another one. It's like five years, 135 or something like that. And uh, I forget where he played. played uh... Yeah, I yeah, I, I haven't I haven't kept up with with all the with all the free agency moves. But but yeah, but I mean, the Dodgers, they just they just got a great offense. Um, I mean, they're amazing. You know, the Yankees are going to be better this year. I mean, they're going to have Soto. They're going to have their Jason Dominguez back. But pitching is still their big. Where the Astros have pitching questions, they're they don't have the questions that some of these other teams have. Yeah, you know that was the Padres last year, right? And it's the yeah. Padres who you thought that this, they had this amazing lineup, and I'm like, well, who's starting for them? <laughs> who's going to be right? You right. Uh, interesting note that I found out right before um, we started the show: Billy Wagner is now at the 75th percentile on the Hall of Fame ballot, really? ballot tracking. He was yes. as of two hours ago. Nice. I love that. Because I follow uh, that Ryan guy who, yeah. does, who tracks all the ballots, and um, I really want to see Billy get in. Oh, I do too. oh, no. We've been we've been pushing it. We've been promoting it. I even retweeted the show that we did, and, and I, I even called, uh, I even tweeted at the hall, not that they, you know, look for my tweets, but I was like, you need to revoke every voter that did not vote for Billy Wagner. How do you keep a guy out who clearly has the same numbers as guys like Hoffman, guys that are already in the hall, Mariano Rivera, all these guys. You keeping him out makes makes no sense. In his last year, he had forty saves. His last year for the Braves. I know it's an, it's amazing, and he was as a lefty one of the most dominant closers for his his time. Exactly. You know? So yeah, it's nice to see he's trending upward. The, the baseball Hall of Fame really kind of it's it's an interesting case study and how things work with that. Yeah, it's got to be revamped because to me, if you have like ten voters and they're not turning in any any ballot or like even voting for at least one guy, it's like come on, man, what are we doing? I know, I know, and the fact that you know I, I would look at some of these ballots and some of the ones you know i would i really kind of study the ones that didn't have wagner because the first thing i'm looking for is to check billy wagner and it's like some guys will put a couple steroid guys in but then not you know it'll like some I, there was one ballot that had alex rodriguez on it but not manny ramirez you know what i'm saying and you're just like hey, what, what what be consistent with what you're doing it, it makes you your... wonder if they put a blindfold on and just check the box or like, like, what are you doing here? Because it makes no sense. And you can tell the bias, too, sometimes. Absolutely. the different cities. I'm like, you're supposed to... This was to be like going to court. Like, a jury of your peers giving you a fair trial. Like, you, you get this, right, yeah. Mr. Lawman? I mean, you want your client... If they've got a jury, you want to know that that jury is going to judge solely on the merits of the case and the evidence presented. That's what they should do with this stuff. Not... You know, now I understand a Barry Bonds, he gets a cold shoulder because he was pretty much a you know what to the to the media and I understand that. I understand that controversy with him. But other guys it's like, Oh yeah, I asked him a question one time and he pissed me off and it's like So you're not gonna vote yeah, for it's it. like get I'm like I'm like, Are you mad because you stopped playing baseball at fourteen and that's why you're a reporter? No offense. But that's that's it, it's it's like holding grudges. It's like, no, yeah. just do the right thing. 
And, you know, it's interesting that there was a couple ballots where guys voted for Wagner last year but didn't vote for him this year. <laughs> and, I don't, and, I, and, and one of them only hit eight boxes, only checked eight boxes. You know, you can check up to ten, right? right? And I'm thinking to myself, what, what changed from last year to this year? And you still had two spots. Well, I think, too, I think sometimes there's too many guys on these ballots. Way too many. James Shields is on the ballot. I know. I'm like, James Shield and Bueller. And yeah. There's a couple of other know. ones. I'm like, how, how are they? Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, Burley. Burley, Burley. I know which, which I look back at his career, you know, he's, he's got a lot of wins. He's got yeah. longevity, but he was never a guy that, I don't know, I just. I mean, but like, guys like Lance Berkman, I mean, he didn't even really get a fair shot. No. And he's not even on the ballot anymore. No, no. And that, and like, to me, that is just an injustice. Because during his prime, he was one of the top five players in the league. Oh, yeah. Switch hitter, MVP caliber, defensively. Yeah. You know, offensively. I mean, he did it all. I know. So, uh, a couple of other things. What do you think about this Alex Bregman drama? And the trade and oh man, well you know I I don't I don't see any scenario where he does get traded just because you're you're gonna have to replace him with who who are you gonna replace him with and if you replace him with anybody even a, even a Chapman you're gonna have to pay him twenty million so it, you're you know to me maybe Will Wagner <laughs> yeah but see that's the thing the guys in our minor leagues I don't think are ready to step in like we don't have that Jeremy Pena type figure to to plug in to plug and play yeah. You know, Bregman, Bregman feels like, I think he's, and I haven't heard him say this personally, but I think he believes he's, he's met that expectation to where he can go get that bag. Yeah. Or he can go get that $300 million contract. And if Crane is going to even think about paying Tucker, there's no way he gives that to Bregman. So this, this may be the last run for Alex Bregman with the Astros, unless they come together. Because everybody's like, Boris this, Boris that. Boris has made plenty of team-friendly contracts with the Astros players he represents, especially Altuve. Yeah. So why wouldn't he do it again? I mean, who knows? Bregman and Tucker could both sign team-friendly deals and throw a curveball on the whole thing, but... The interesting point with Bregman is this, is that he has not been elite since 2019. He's not been elite, right? Right. But every postseason, man, is he amazing. He comes through. Yeah. He hits. He's clutch, you know? And... It's, it's been interesting to see, because I don't know if the market's going to give him $300 million. Yeah, that, that's true. You know, when, when I was looking at, like, the gold gloves, Matt Chapman has four gold gloves. He has none. Yeah. Bregman has zero. Yeah, and that's kind of funny to me. I was like, wait, he doesn't hit. It's kind of like when I remember the first time I realized that um, Nolan Ryan didn't have a Cy Young. I remember years ago going, no, wait, hold on, let me go look. Like, oh, my God, this dude never won a Cy Young. Yeah, he never <laughs> won a Cy Young. Dusty Baker. I know he had to be... Probably one of the most polarizing things listening to the show every day. Where do you, where are you with Dusty? You know, Dusty is, I've, I've always said this, um, respect the hell out of Dusty because of his longevity in baseball. For what Dusty has been through in his life, the things he's seen, playing with Hank Aaron, being in that clubhouse with Hank Aaron. I mean, the hate that Hank Aaron got for getting even close to Babe Ruth's record. I know. And Dusty seeing that. But Dusty living through a time period where, where you know, if you were, if you were a black athlete in American sports, it wasn't, you weren't like celebrated all the time. There were places you would go and people hated you for that reason. And, and so I think sometimes these, these players, these men, they get, when they get older, they get set in their ways. 
they kind of get this mystique about them where they put up with so much. All they want someone to do is say, you know what, I trust you or I respect you. And I think that's where Dusty fell. I think he felt like nobody gave him a chance or respected him. And he knew coming in that he had never won. He knew coming in that he had been close and never won. But everybody reminded him of that. Yeah. And, you know, for me, getting that title, he is like flipping the rods everybody, saying, you know what? Screw y'all. I did it despite me. And I thought the 2022 playoffs, we won it because of his moves. I think he, I was the only person in the country that wrote about him being the X Factor for the Astros. But I still don't buy that tweeters and bloggers and people ran him off. I don't buy that. I don't buy that either. I don't buy that because this is a man that's been through civil rights movement. This yeah. guy's this guy's been through actual like diversity. Like yeah. he's been through advert like real world stuff that I've never experienced, right? Yeah. So there's no way this dude. Yeah. I think he's deflecting. And I think he's doing that because I think he wants the people that he felt gave him the least respect wanted them to feel a sting. He wanted them to look bad. Yeah. And you know what? He kind of has earned that a little bit. Yeah. And I do genuinely believe that some of his lineups and some of what he did was to spite the people. Say, you know what? Watch me. Yeah. I, I Just watch me. I couldn't, agree, <laughs> I couldn't agree more with you. And where where Dusty comes out for me, and I'll be honest with you, I was very, very frustrated with him this season because I, I felt like there were, there were things that were obvious and staring him in the face, and he did what you just said. And as a fan, I'm like, when are we going to kick this season off? When are we going to start winning? You know, we don't have time for these kind of things. But where Dusty gets my absolute respect is he came in to a tough, tough situation. Oh, yeah. And there was not anyone out there that could have come into this clubhouse, given the ship the steady hand it needed, given the team the kind of respect, at least in, you know, amongst baseball circles, because Dusty just... He garners that type of respect. Yeah. And I think he did an amazing job, you know, kind of steadying the ship. And look, 2020 regular season was terrible. I know we went 29 and 31, but we had an amazing postseason in 2020. And 2021, they win 95 games, go to the World Series. 2022, you know, they win the World Series. 2023, one game away. I mean, yeah, And that wasn't... The losing at home had nothing to do with Dusty. Yeah. You know, it was like, well, if we would have started Yannick, no, that was just the offense mentally just going up there and going catatonic when they got there. And I don't understand the losing at home thing because, honestly. Nobody does. Not even the players. I just don't get it. You know, I, I joked about the Rockets this year. You know, the Rockets couldn't couldn't win on the road. Yeah. I was like, maybe they need to paint paint the batter's eye a different color. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> in was in the NBA like, stadium. That was that was some far reaching stuff, man. That whole batter's eye being yeah, that, an issue. To me, that was that was lame. That was that to me was the equivalent of Aaron Boone saying, Well, the roof was open. Yeah. What? What come on, bro. Come like on, you're man. professionals. Yeah. So. No, you just, it got in your head and you got too comfortable. I mean, you, you, you literally would come home. And I think though, I think too, I think sometimes like, again, players are humans. Yeah. They, they get tired. You know, like it's, it's easy as a fan, you know, Ramesh is a starting pitcher. Come on, Ramesh. What's mm. your problem? You struck out 10 last time. How do you have 10 walks now? Well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Ramesh had a hell of a two or three days in between his start, last start. And yeah. Maybe he didn't get good sleep. I mean, there's a lot of factors that go into it. And so. With covering it as often as I do, it's given me a much more even keel perspective. 
And you have some real context, right? When you're when you're covering something every single day, yeah, right. And you're you're watching games. You over time, when you you know when you do it repetitively, you notice different things that you're just not going to notice being a casual fan. And I really do agree with you. I think the whole home thing, especially in the playoffs, they were just in their head. I mean, they just I think that they couldn't stop thinking. About and I it. think they were ment- I think they were mentally drained. Exhausted. I mean, Kyle Tucker was was done. Something he looked just, really off with him, though. Yeah. Like beyond, I'm slumping. Like no, I know. Yeah, no. I I I think for him there was there was something there, something external had to be because I've never seen him hang his head. Mm-mm. I saw him hang his head multiple times. I've never seen him squat and not play catch in between innings. Yeah, you know that was a big thing, and I was like, dang, you know, uh, Bill Simmons. Uh, from the ringer calls himself the body language doctor. Tucker's body language was all bad. Oh, it was terrible. It was, it was terrible. Bad. Oh no, yeah, that's that's the, that's one of the things. Um, I, I was watching one of these uh, one of these NCAA Division One basketball coaches. He's like, the first thing I look at at a player is his body language. Yeah, I look at his body language when 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 his other teammate messes up. I look at his body language when the coach pulls him off the court. I look at his body language in warmups. Yeah, I mean, yes. all of those things are important. All those things, because that's 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 where your your your, your subconscious character comes out. Yeah, absolutely. A um, couple of things to kind of get us to wrap up here. I like to kind of end the show with a couple of off balance questions, okay. just to ask you. All right, three favorite places to eat in Houston. Three favorite places to eat in Houston. Um, I would have to say number one. Gosh, man, that this is hard because there's so many good places. In I know. This is why eat. I love this question. Um, Mm. Number one is Perry's okay. Perry's Steakhouse. I mean, my friend over there, Grant, that dude, that dude can cook, bro. And he's he's one of their executive chefs. But in the not just because I know him, but I mean that tomahawk steak that they have, and then the Perry's pork chop. To me, I just I haven't found a better steak. That's amazing. I mean, so Perry's would be number one. Number two, number two. You know what? I'm going to have to go with my guy, Kobos, over at Kobos Q, man. I mean, Royal does a phenomenal job over there. I absolutely love what they got there. Um, they, do a, they, do a, they do a banger job, you know, Kobos. Um, and then number three, number three, man, um, I got to go with, I got to go with some chicken or something, man. I got to get something. Um, no, you know what? I'm going to go, I, I'm going to go with a place that no one's ever probably been, but I love it. It's in Dickinson. It's called, it's called Los Ramirez. Okay. Just a little small, you know, family owned Mexican restaurant. Those are the best. Just got the best food. The The prices aren't jacked up, you know, like <laughs> at the other places. Yeah. And so I know I go in there and I can get full and my pocket, my pocketbook doesn't get empty. So. Yeah. Mount Rushmore of baseball stadiums you've been to. I've been to. So, believe it or not, I've only been to five stadiums oh, okay. in my life. Well, then what's your Mount Rushmore stadiums? So, my Mount Rushmore stadiums, the stadiums that I will get to before, before I, I, I take a dirt nap, will be, um, I definitely want to go to Wrigley Field. Um, I want to go to, I want to go to Fenway Park. I want to see, I, I just want to go to Yankee Stadium, just say that I've been. Um, and then, I think, I, th- I think St. Louis for me. Um, is a ballpark that I absolutely want to want to go and experience, but I have been to Bank One Ballpark. I have been to um, Angel Stadium. Um, you know Arlington. I've I've been to all three of their stadiums that they had. The original Ranger Stadium ballpark at Arlington, which is still my favorite. 
and then globe globe life i not a big fan of that of that park um too big too much dallas for me but definitely fenway park and wrigley field probably my my top two destinations of places that i that i want to go but for me number one over all these that anyone i'll ever visit will always be the astrodome because it's where I fell in love with baseball. Um, it's it's where it's it just got so many memories. Caught my first foul ball there. Um, you know, I remember uh, Jose Cruz. You know, I just knew out of all the kids, he was telling me how to play center field during the Astros buddies. You know, coaching session, and I got to tell him that story at a Rice game. Um, oh, I introduced amazing. him to my son. I met Enrique, um, his son, who won who won a national title with the with the Rice Owls. And so we were all talking, and I said, you know, I, I, I said, Chael, I was like, I really thought you were, like, only talking to me. And he said, that's so funny. But he talked to Sammy. He poured into my son and was mentoring him. It was really cool. So it was kind of full circle there. That's amazing. So for me, my top stadium will always be the Astrodome. That's why it just it crushes me to look at that place and, yeah. just, and just know that it's just become a wasteland. Yeah, it's in, it is in disrepair. Uh, I have a suggestion for you, though. You should try Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh PNC. So I've heard. I've it heard. Is yes. Stunning. I've heard that. It is stunning. It and is when amazing. I think Pittsburgh, I don't think stunning. No offense to anybody listening to this that's from Pittsburgh. I yeah. just don't think stunning. I know, but I'm telling you, that ballpark is amazing. Okay. Okay. All right. So check that out. This one's going to hurt. If you could change the outcome of one Astros game in, in their entire history, which one would it be? I already know my answer. <sighs> one game. Okay, so for people who are recent fans, it would it would automatically be 2019. Okay, right? 2019. That's that's where I would go. But I'm going back further. I'm going back to 1986. Oh, okay. Because I think if the Astros get to Game Seven, I think Mike Scott absolutely shuts out the Mets, and I think the Astros go to the World Series, and I think they win their first World Series in 1986. Yeah, that, that team was so everything. good. That team was. Bob Nepper had thrown the game of his life, and just you know Billy Hatcher extended it. You know went to extra innings, and all in all the Mets interviews I've seen, all those players, Ron Donnelly, all those guys here, like we're so glad we won that game six because Mike Scott, we were so afraid of him. Yeah, but see that was back when you know being an Astros fan meant anything that could go wrong would go wrong. Yeah, Doran got picked off at third. Mm -hmm. You know. Dave Smith picks the one time in his life to blow a three-run lead. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, it, it was just it was it was. It was. But in in I mean I was I was eleven, I was yeah. eleven at the time. But I I that was my first real like taste of like I I, I think I shed tears. Yeah. I think I cried in '86 when when we lost to the Mets, and for years I hated the Mets. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> listen, the '86 '86 seems to be kind of the 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 focal point starting point for most people who love the Astros mm -hmm. right our age our generation that '86 team um, the, that playoff series uh, seems to be where everyone says that's where I fell in love and see I've got a ball a friend of mine gave to me that uh, TriStar ran a they had 13 of the players from that team that signed and he's got a ball signed by all of them. He had given me all this Astros memorabilia stuff, and one of them was the ball from the 86 team. So that, I got that sitting in my room. That's crazy. That's yeah. awesome. Um, last one, Mount Rushmore of Houston Astros. <sighs> Man, Mount Rushmore of Houston Astros. Well, I'm, I'm going to have to I'm gonna have to go with Jose Altuve, who I think is, when it's all said and done, is going to be the greatest 
person to ever put on Astros uniform, I think, even after he plays. Um, I don't think anyone's going to surpass his greatness. Um, and then after him, I think you obviously have to go Craig Biggio because he was the first Astro inducted. You know, his longevity, um, what he meant to the city. Um, Jeff Bagwell, I, I think, probably one of the best first basemen ever to play the game. And then, because Mount Rushmore is four, right? Correct. So my fourth one, gosh, it's, it's tough because there are several people you could you could put to that level. You know, some, some people want to put Verlander on there. I, I don't know. I know he's got the two titles. Some people want to throw Roy Oswald. He's got the two Cy Youngs, too. He does have the two Cy Youngs. Nolan Ryan. See, I want to put Nolan Ryan up there. It's either for me, for me, it's either, it's like a Bob Watson, a Nolan Ryan. I'm going to, I'm going to have to say, I'm going to have to put two, I'm going to have to put Verlander and Nolan Ryan. I, I, I can't leave Nolan Ryan off. I, I just, I, I can't leave him off, but I also can't ignore what Verlander's done yeah. with the Astros. I'm a big Verlander guy. Uh, you know, I think his six years that he's been with us or five and a half, <laughs> has it's been amazing it has been and i i have been absolutely impressed with what he's brought to our team the success that and i really hope he chooses the astros hat to go into the hall of fame because how he can he how he cannot you know what i mean like he is now he's synonymous with us right you know i know he had a lot of success in detroit he won a cy young and mvp in detroit but i did feel a little shade of you you remember when the astros wouldn't wouldn't pay nolan ryan he went to the Rangers. I was like, oh, man, if, if JV goes to the Mets and has like a random four-year run. And, yeah. Oh, then he goes in as a Met. I'm going to be crushed. I'm going to be crushed. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Brett, this was so much fun. I Thank really, you. really enjoyed it. I can't express um, how grateful we are that you took the time to, to join us on this. We will definitely wish you all the best in all of your endeavors. We'll, we look forward to Locked On, but everything that's happening with Athletically Declined and the H-Town Wheelhouse Show. Um, for anybody who's listening, please check those out. Brett does great content, very engaging, and it's just a lot of fun. I appreciate it, Ramesh. Thank you so much. Um, you know, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm humbled and I'm, and I'm honored that, you, that you'd have me on. And, you know, anybody who's, who's hearing my voice for the first time, Hopefully, I become someone you listen to every day. I mean, because wouldn't you want to hear my voice? I'm joking, but seriously, no. Thank you, um, thank you, Ramesh. Thank you for what for what you do. Um, you you know, you're a great you're a great family guy. You work you work hard at what you do here um, at your business, and it means a lot to connect with someone like you doing doing good things in our community. I appreciate it. Thanks.